Welcome to the podcast stream for the sermons from Orchard Hill Church. We are so thrilled that you found us. If you have questions about our church or want to support us financially, head over to our website, ohohio.com. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy. Before we read today's scripture, we have um, a simple prayer that we pray together in order to open up our hearts and our minds for the word that God has prepared for us today. Join me in this. We welcome you to speak, Lord. Only you have the words of life. Yes, and his words of life today come from 1 Samuel 15, 20 through 22. And it says, but I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everything else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to your Lord God in Gagal. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, or your obedience to his voice? Listen, Obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. That's the word of the Lord. Before we get into our conversation about worship and obedience this morning, I'd like to dismiss our fourth and fifth graders. We get to go with Adam today. Enjoy your lesson, guys. So in 2008 my husband Matt and I began seeking. We were asking a lot of questions and we were looking for a place that would give us answers. And so we ended up at a Quaker Friends meeting in Tempe, Arizona. And in a Quaker meeting, every part of service is spent in silence. And there's um, actually no time limit or length of service that happens at a Quaker Friends meeting. It's just the Holy Spirit leads all of it. And so everyone kind of sits um, in a circle or a square, and they look um, into the middle or towards each other during this um, gathering. And we typically sat there for um, up to an hour to an hour and a half in silence until at some point the Spirit would lead us to close, and someone might stand up and share something that the Lord uh, spoke to them during that time, or no one would speak and it would just be over. Um, This is what a Quaker Friends meeting looks like. And then in 2010, uh, we moved here to Ohio, and I told my sister about our wanting to go know God and about wanting to find a place to worship. So uh, she invited us to her mega church, And when worship began that day, I remember Matt and I looking at each other like deer caught in headlights. Um, It was loud. Um, It was surprising compared to a friend's meeting. Um, I think we expected different, but we weren't quite prepared for that level of uncomfortable. Uh, Their worship looked more like this. As uh, I watched people worship that day, I saw some with raised hands, some were dancing, um, some were jumping up and down or kneeling, 
there was one woman um, that I remember clearly who uh, looked, looked like she was kind of um, doing an aerobics workout. She was doing jumping jacks while she was also kind of twirling around in circles. Um, it was really surprising and a little bit weird to us at the time. So we went from complete silence to bass and drums, guitars, dancing, crying, people falling down. Um, it was a culture, culture shock for sure. But this is how I think we think about worship. We think about um, things that are on the external. We think about what we expect worship to look like on the outside. We think about the style of worship that we prefer or the songs that we love to sing. And I think we all have a lot of questions around worship that we don't usually talk about. Uh, like, if there's a correct way to worship that should involve raising our hands or falling on our knees, should we be doing that? Um, why do some people do those things and why do some people not do those things? Um, are we required to look weird to impress God or to worship properly? Or are we not worshiping properly? Or are we somehow inferior if we don't look weird? We place so much worry and importance on whether we look too weird or not weird enough. But who are we to determine what weird is? I mean, who does determine what is weird? Um, is it what I saw at my sister's church that day? Or is it sitting in silence for an hour and a half? Is it something else? What about the worship we see in the Bible? That is some weird stuff. <laughs> for example, after Ezra preached, the people worshiped the Lord with their faces on the ground. We actually see Jesus do this, too, in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's arrested with his face on the ground. And then there's David. David uh, danced so passionately, uh, so fervently in his worship that his clothes fell off. Weird. Um, the Israelites marched around Jericho seven times. And then they started blowing their horns and yelling their heads off until all the walls came crashing down. That's weird, right? I actually sang a song about this in high school choir, and when I learned that it was a true story, I was like, what is going on? That's some weird stuff, but who are we to determine what's weird and what's not? There was a guy actually back in the 90s, his name was John Wimber. He was the founding pastor of a church called Vineyard in California. Huge church, um, many, many campuses, and often people in those congregations, uh, they worshiped outwardly and very dramatically. They held um, healing moments at the ends of their services, and you would see people often like shaking or falling down or passing out, they would be um, crying or even laughing uncontrollably. The church actually became known for this kind of outward display. So John was interviewed by a major news network once, and he asked him, are you telling me that that 
is God. He just wanted to know if the way these people were acting each and every Sunday, if that was God. And John replied with a simple, maybe. I think he said that because some of what was happening did look weird, but not to God. Because worship is all-encompassing. It happens with our whole selves, our full bodies, our minds, and first and foremost with our hearts. But sometimes our hearts are not in the right posture. They don't match our outward worship. So I think he said maybe because there are times when our actions say one thing and our hearts say something else. And that's not God. In fact, that's the only time when God thinks our worship is weird. And it was possible at Vineyard, as it is possible for us here today, to worship in a way that doesn't reflect our true hearts. This happens when we worship outwardly in church. We um, raise our hands, we passionately feel the words that we are singing, and then we go home and we refuse to walk across the street to help our neighbor. That's weird. Or when our outwardly praising of God on a Sunday and, and we're um, praising him for what he's doing and who he is and we're crying out to him for what we need, but then when we leave this place, our life doesn't reflect the same deep compassion and reliance on God. That is weird. We uh, will get further into the weird stuff. If you have questions about what is weird and what is not weird, um, don't worry. We are totally going to go there in another week. Um, but before we go there today, we are going to talk about where worship begins, where it comes from, and that's from a surrendered heart. So I, I actually love worship. Um, I always have since I was a little girl. I remember getting so excited to go to Christmas Eve services because I couldn't wait to hear that whole church full of those hymns at Christmas time, all those voices coming together to sing those. It was so beautiful. And when I started attending church as an adult, um, I was equally moved by music. But it's harder to explain why. It was different than when I was a kid. It felt different from the inside. Uh, it felt more than just like a brief moment of emotion that just passed quickly. Um, I feel like it was God leading me, like he was forming my heart. Worshiping through music remains to be where I experience God the most deeply in my life. But to be honest... There are times when I'm disconnected. I find myself kind of going through the motions, but it's more about me than it is about God. I get so frustrated in those moments, and I think some of you might know what I'm talking about, yeah? Like when we want to connect to God so badly, but it's like there's some kind of a wall in the way. Have you ever considered 
when that's happening, why that's happening. I feel like for me, it seems that it most often coincides with a moment where the posture of my heart isn't right. Instead of worshiping out of a surrendered heart, I'm worshiping to prove that I'm a good Christian or that I'm worthy of God's acceptance or even worthy of your acceptance. It feels like a transaction to get something in return rather than an action that comes from his spirit and his truth. John 4, 23 and 24 say, But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. God is saying that worship comes from the truth about who God is, anchored to the truth of God's word, and that we all are led by the Spirit in our worship. It's a response from a heart that is yielded to God's truth through his Spirit. He wants our worship to come from a place where we have made him Lord over everything, where we desire his will above all else. Our worship should come from a place in our heart that has been formed by God and is being formed by God. But for many of us, that just isn't where our worship comes from. We are more worried about what we look like, about looking weird, than we are worried about the posture of our hearts. It should be weird to us that we would choose to go through the motions of worship without fully giving our hearts to the one who we're worshiping. We prefer a heart not totally yielded to him. But when we yield our whole selves to God, he leads us in a worship that's deep and intimate, one that forms us to look like him. One where we respond to him in obedience out of love and a desire to praise him for who he is and what he's done. But that word's hard, right? Obedience. It's a hard word. It assumes weakness and submission. Uh, it's something that the world does not accept. We make obedience something to be avoided. So instead of obedience, we prefer to offer him sacrifice. The definition of which is to give something up for the sake of something else, which sounds really good, right? It sounds like something that we could be proud of. Like we are willing to give something up for God. That must make him so happy. <laughs> but God doesn't want anything that we could give him except for us. He just wants all of us. The Lord would rather have our obedience than our sacrifice of praise on a Sunday morning. But in our avoidance of true worship and going through the motions, 
we tend to put sacrifice in the place where obedience should be. We trick ourselves into thinking that we're yielding to God because we're giving something up. In the scripture I read earlier, Samuel asks King Saul, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. So Samuel was actually visiting King Saul after a battle. And it was customary in battle for the victorious army to take whatever they wanted from their opponent as sort of like a payment for their hard work. But this battle was different because God had given Saul specific instructions. He told him to attack and then completely destroy everything to leave no man, woman, child, or animal alive, to destroy all things no matter their value. But when Saul attacked with 200,000 soldiers, they captured the king, and they also kept all the best sheep, goats, cattle, choice animals, and valuable for themselves. They destroyed all worthless things, but kept the best of everything else in celebration of their accomplishment. Saul may have actually thought that he was being obedient to God. I think he may have thought that God would actually be very proud of what he had done here. But I can tell you that partial obedience is complete disobedience. Paul's partial obedience reflected the fact that he wanted control and he wanted to be on the throne more than he wanted to be obedient to God. I feel like many of us can relate. We prefer to keep the things we love, even if it isn't in line with God's will, but we sacrifice what we're willing to with this sense of pride. Saul's idols held a priority above God and gave him his desire of feeling important, accomplished, and honored. And I really think that this may be why we hold back in our worship, too, that we're too prideful to give God everything he asks for. So we keep the best for ourselves as a false sense of control. Saul tried to talk his way out of this discipline Samuel was giving him by saying that all of those things, all of those idols that they had kept for themselves, they were purposefully kept in order to be sacrifices to the Lord. He tried to explain them off as worship. But religious practices without obedience are empty before the Lord. Practicing worship is not the same as true worship. Coming to church on Sunday, singing some songs, raising our hands without surrendering our hearts to God is not worship. We get this weird sense of pride offering sacrifices to God, thinking that giving something up would mean something to him because it means something to us. 
like we can earn his approval by giving him sacrifices, but without really realizing it. Sacrifice actually places barriers between us and God. It distances us from him. Sacrifice doesn't deepen our relationship with him or result in our being like him. It doesn't even result in him having a pride for us like we think. It results in us being like whatever it is that we're placing above him. And you know what? I think that's exactly why we do it. I think we want to put up barriers. Sacrifice seems easier than obedience. We sacrifice out of fear. What might we discover in our obedience? We are fearful of how we might be changed by God. What might be revealed about our living, our being, or our doing? But with the truth, it's, it is that he, his love, his perfect love, casts out all fear. What he does reveal in obedience is his good and perfect will for our lives. We also sacrifice because obedience looks too costly to us. What would we lose if we made Jesus Lord over everything? Material things, choices we make that don't line up with his will. We may have to give something up that we love, like TV, junk food, an addiction, or our phones. If we make him Lord, we might not get to use our time the way that we want. We might not get to use our money the way that we want. And we'll definitely look different than the world around us, which might be another reason why we're not obedient to him. But like Drew mentioned last week, we become what we behold. So those idols we have in our lives shape us to be like them. So if we spend hours a day looking at our phones, watching YouTube or uh, social media, then we become like the content we're looking at. But if we behold God, we become more like him. For a thousand reasons, we think sacrifice is easier. It gives us more of what we want. We try so hard sacrificing what we believe could finally get us closer to him, but the result is just more frustration and broken, distant hearts. But the good news is that we don't have to make sacrifices because he already did. And I guarantee, I guarantee that his sacrifice is so much better than ours. I guarantee that his worship is so much better than ours. Obedience is far more simple than we make it. T.S. Eliot put it this way, following Jesus is, a condition of complete simplicity costing no less than everything. All he wants is us, fully obedient to him, following him, joining him, and living 
into his will for our lives, which is good and perfect. But still we prefer the pride and struggle of sacrifice. God asks for a clean, repentant heart, ready for his will. But sacrifice leaves dirt behind. Psalm 51, 10, 16, and 17 say, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humble heart, God. In this psalm, David says that there is literally nothing we can offer God to appease him. More animal sacrifices were not what God was looking for. He's saying that the gap between obedience and our sacrifice reveals our need for a heart-level transformation. God desires our true repentance to turn toward him. He wants all of us, even those unattractive, messy parts. Remember last week when uh, Drew brought Jerry up here and Jerry stood over here and Jerry represented God, right? And then he brought Joe up and Joe was over here and Joe represented us, all of humanity. And Drew explained that sin came into the world. Did anyone notice what Joe did in that moment? Drew didn't ask him to do something. It was really uh, very slight. You probably only would have seen it if you were looking at Joe at that moment. But when Drew explained that sin came into the world, Joe took three steps this way. Because sin causes a barrier between God and us before what Jesus did for us. We learned last week that pagan worship, which is what people did back then, required sacrifices in order to get whatever was needed from whatever specific God had it. So if you needed rain, you made sacrifices to the rain god. If you needed fertility, you gave up whatever was needed to the god of fertility. We still think that if we give more, pray more, or busy ourselves with other religious activities, that we come clean before him in worship and that we're worthy of his presence. The truth is that we're still taking three steps away. We try to keep our distance. We try and hide our sin. But the worship it's not an act where we do something in order to get clean. We worship to live out of the cleansing that Jesus has already graciously given to us through his sacrifice. Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice that gives us direct relationship with God. Worship is aligning ourselves with him, and obedience is the only way we can accomplish that alignment. 
Worship starts with our understanding of who he is so completely that even though we have sin, we cry out to him and receive his forming of us from the inside out because we know there's nothing better. We can make a thousand sacrifices for God, work a thousand hours for God's service, or give millions of dollars to his work, but all of those sacrifices mean nothing if we don't have a surrendered heart to him shown through simple obedience. He doesn't want your sacrifice. He wants you. There's a difference between tokens of religious actions and a true heart of worship. And I don't know for sure, but I think that woman who looked like she was doing aerobics at the megachurch wasn't just going through the motions. I think her heart was so full of joy, she just couldn't help it. I think she knew a hard heart. I think she'd been set free from empty sacrifices and had given her whole self over to God, and her dancing was a reflection of that freedom and her obedience. And I know for sure that there were plenty of people sitting there that day whose hearts were hard, who were frustrated, who had a desire for that freedom but weren't willing to take the steps needed to go give themselves to God. It's it's an all-or-nothing commitment. And it's also a day-to-day yes that we have to intentionally give to him. Our sacrifices are empty, but his are not. It's the very reason for our worship. It's the very reason for our obedience. He is the one who fulfilled the promise that will never be broken and allows us to stand in the very presence of God and worship him. He is creator, redeemer, provider, healer, deliverer, and king. Who is more worthy of our obedience to not only worship him with our mouths, but with our hearts and with our whole lives. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis, and I'll leave us with this to enter into a time of response. Lewis speaks uh, from God's perspective in mere Christianity, and he says, Give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talents and money, and so much of your work. I want you all of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I don't want to only prune a branch here and a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me. The whole outfit, all of your desires, all of your wants and wishes and dreams, turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me, and I will make of you a new self in my image. Give me yourself, and in exchange, 
I will give you myself. My will will become your will. My heart will become your heart. Is our highest goal and desire to give him everything? All of our worship, all of our praise, all of our selves, all of our obedience. So our band is going to lead us in a little longer response time today, and then we'll come to the table together. So if you need um, elements of communion, you can get them at either of the tables here in the room. This is a time of reflection. This is an opportunity for you to examine the posture of your hearts. Is there something that you are sacrificing instead of living out of obedience? What are we holding on to that we're unwilling to let go in order to make him Lord? Can we lay those things at his feet this morning?